Now, two weeks from today, we're gonna have a, have a combined service. And combined services are great, but there's something really good about both services. Both services are unique and different. Um, the, the, the thing about this service is that you all know what the, what the phrase LOL means. Um, other, other people, depending on generation, they laugh inside, but they never show it. So it's really good to have a, a group of people in a service that actually laughs out loud, okay? I have an amen or laugh out loud. There we go. Okay, good. Good. How much time did you spend this morning on your body? Your physical being. Now, most of us probably showered and clothed and fed our body. We do the best we can with what we've got. Our, our face and our hair and our clothes. And we usually shave if we have to shave or, and brush our teeth. In fact, our old centuries-old toothbrushes are now replaced with computerized time sonic care brushes. We use teeth whitening strips and mouthwash, then pack breath mints to counter our coffee breath. We do things for our body like taking bubble baths and have spa treatments, manicures, and pedicures. We spend exorbitant amount of money on oversized bathtubs that massage our bodies with jets of water, called hot tubs. We purchase cars with at least two temperature zones, the his and her zones. Some have heated and now you've got cool seats. Does anybody here have cool seats in your car? Uh, okay, yeah, if you want to experience that, you can go talk to him. And all cars come with vanity mirrors, even on the driver's side, so she can apply her mascara while weaving in and out of traffic, talking on her cell phone, drinking coffee. That, that happened to me once, and she just about ran me off the road. I, I near head-on collision. That's because they have vanity mirrors on the driver's side. Shouldn't have them there. Our physical bodies are important to us. Some of us exercise and work out to stay fit. And we eat the right foods, or we exercise frenetically so we don't have to. As we age, we add medications to lower our blood pressure, raise our TSH, bring our cholesterol down, raise our libido. We have wax treatments to remove unwanted body hair, and we have hair transplants to add head hair. Go figure. We want to do our body good, don't we? Somehow we believe that if we just look younger, smell better, feel good, then... It'll bring us happiness, we'll, we'll feel happy. Several years ago, Judy and I celebrated one of our anniversaries uh, with a trip to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And one of the things I'll never forget is the hundreds of people on a daily basis that were feeding and tanning, uh, pampering their bodies, eating food and ingesting large amounts of alcohol. And from the looks of most of their bodies, I doubt they were doing their bodies any good from what I could tell. Well, some go to great lengths to pamper and care for their bodies. Others are too busy working or taking care of their children or just keeping up with the demands of life to even worry much about it. But we only get one body per life, unless you believe in reincarnation, which we do not. We have, however, organ transplants and joint replacements. It's a, it's a great world, new world. Well, what does the Bible say about our bodies, our, our physical beings? And why are we talking about this anyway? Physical bodies, a physical part of life, was very important to the Corinthians in ancient Greece. In fact, much like in Wisconsin today, their whole life centered on the physical, their, their physical beings, the appetites, the pleasure, the comfort, the weather, physical well-being. And I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. 
When you watch a Brewers game or a Packers game, what do the ads or advertisements appeal to? The physical, they're the beer commercials, food commercials, car commercials, gadget commercials, or prescriptions. All focus on the physical. And all the while, the grocery stores and pizza places are trying to get you to stop, stock up on food and drink for the big game, whatever it is. I don't know if you've ever been to Festival Foods just before a Packer game, you see all of that happening. The guys on the field are exercising, so we have to eat. You know, it makes us hungry watching them exercise. See, life in America is just focused on the physical. Physical. This preoccupation of the physical and misunderstandings created some problems for the church in Corinth, and it creates some challenges for us today in this church, the Christian church today. And I want to look at what the Apostle Paul tells them and how it applies to us today. Today, the sermon title is Do a Body Good. Do a Body Good. And I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. It's in, on page 927 if you want to read uh, follow along in the Bible in, in the rack in front of you, or it'll be up on the projection as well. 1 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul is addressing some issues of vital concern to the church in ancient Corinth, and I'm going to attempt as best I can, to put this in a logical outline to try to make the most sense to us today. How does it make sense to us today? Let's start with room numeral one. It's the misuse of the physical body. Misuse of the physical bodies. I'm getting a little bit of ring. You hear that ring? I don't know if it's coming through the monitors or something. There we go. Better. Okay, thank you. Misuse of our physical bodies. This misuse of the physical body is a consequence of, of the preoccupation, letter A, the preoccupation of the physical. Back in that day, as we've seen, Corinth was a city filled with immorality and debauchery. They had temple prostitutes, and part of their religion was participating in their, with their prostitution. And in that environment, evidently some of the good church people were participating and did something we do, something all of us do, they, they rationalized it. The human mind has the capacity to rationalize. And verses 12 and 13 are part of this. Uh, these are slogans and saying. It's a little bit confusing, so I want to quote Gordon Fee, a scholar, about what 12 and 13 were talking about. 
He says that the Corinthians were reasoning something like this. Since everything is permitted, and since food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, after all, God will destroy them both in the end, and since all bodily appetites are pretty much alike, that means the body is for sex and sex is for the body because God will destroy them both in the end. Wow. Their conclusions are, are totally wrong on both counts. The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. It's not destined for destruction, but for resurrection. They were rationalizing and therefore trying to justify immoral behavior or the misuse or the abuse of the body. Now, why, why did they do that? There was, a, there was a, a cultural belief system. Now, we have all kinds of belief systems that infiltrate our culture. And in this particular culture, there was a dominant theme that was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. It was, it was a type of dualism. And basically, it divided the human into two parts, body and spirit, body and spirit. And it said the body's evil, the spirit is good. And it doesn't matter what the body does as long as the spirit stays, stays pure. And so they said we can do anything we want with our body as long as our spirit is up. Because basically the body's gonna be destroyed and we're gonna go to heaven someday and be uh, whatever. And so it doesn't matter what the body does. And based on this dualism that they had of, of their philosophy, you had two groups of people that, that dominated. There were the ascetics, the ascetics, which said we must punish the body, deny the physical appetites, abuse the body. The, the, the monastic movement came out of that. They said we have to flagellate the body and, and beat on the body and, and do bad things to the body because it's evil. And so we're going to do that and keep it under control. Then you had the other side that says indulge the body. Gratify every desire. The body doesn't matter. Only the spirit matters. One's body has nothing to do with the soul or one's religion. That's just one danger of a theology that divides body, soul, and spirit. In, and you've probably seen those things. When Jesus returns, the whole human being is resurrected, soul, spirit, and body. Okay, we're one being. You can't separate it. They were separating and saying, one doesn't matter, one does. In verse 12, Paul is either quoting a common Corinthian proverb when he says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. What he's saying is don't use your freedom from sin and use it to sin. Corinthians were saying food is for the stomach, stomach is for food, sex is for the body, body is for sex. They're both okay, they're both appetites. What difference does it make what my body does? It's gonna die, my spirit is what's important. That was the, that was the context in which they were operating and Paul says, wrong, time out. No, that's wrong. That's wrong thinking. Now, we probably don't find such blatant rationalization for immorality in America, in the church today, but we have some of the same problems, which is a preoccupation with the physical. The preoccupation with the physical. It's really hard to live in the spirit when we're living in this physical world. And so there tends to be, and we're surrounded and constantly inundated with messages about the physical. The physical. So what, what does a preoccupation with the physical produce? There are several things it does, and we'll just look at some examples. Um, one of the things that it produces is eating disorders. Eating disorders. Many people today wrestle with eating disorders. We see every kind of model or every kind of image or every kind of whatever. There's a certain type of, of physical being we're supposed to look like, okay? You gotta have the, the six pack and you have to have the abs and you've gotta, have, you know, all of the kinds of things. You have to have the kind of figure. And so when we look at the physical, preoccupied with the physical, there are certain things that happen. And one of those results is eating disorders. 
preoccupation with the physical. Now, the most common eating disorder in the church, historically, is gluttony. Gluttony, eating what's not needed. See, in the church, as I, I grew up, and some of you grew up in the church, everything else was a sin, but we could eat. You know, <laughs> everything's sinful, but there's one thing we can do is eat. So, so we ate. And some gluttons are overweight, but we also have gluttons who are skinny. I've seen people, they can eat anything and, and not gain a pound. Then you have some people that, um, that just walk through the mall and pass a bakery and inhale the, the fumes and gain five pounds. I mean, you know, it's just, that's what happens. It doesn't mean whether one's skinnier or overweight, it doesn't mean they're glutton one way or another. But it's eating what is not needed. And I think all of us may wrestle with that from time to time. All of us may eat some things we don't need. All of us have eating weaknesses. It's good to know that. Now, my mouth waters whenever I think about this particular coffee shop in Stillwater. It sells whiskey almond croissants. Now, there's no whiskey in them, and I don't know where that term comes from, but they are the most incredible croissants. My mouth just waters right now. I'm thinking about it. I, I, that and chocolate, okay? Just, just saying. There are two, those kinds of things. And so when I think about that, my mouth waters, and I could, I could do I'm not going to even tell you where in Stillwater it is because I want it when I go there, and they sell out sometimes. So I'm not going to tell you where it is. <laughs> Judy will probably tell you, but that's okay. But because of our preoccupation with the physical, we feel we have to look a certain way. We're bombarded with, with messages of true beauty. And it's important that we understand that, that this preoccupation of the physical, our bodies are important, they belong to God, but the preoccupation, the focus in the physical is not what we ought to be doing. Gluttony is one of, bulimia is another one, um, another eating disorder, an unhealthy rejection of food after it's already been eaten. There's anorexia, which is an unhealthy rejection of food by not eating. And many, many young women get tied up in this because they've watched these, these unhealthy, skinny models that just, and they say, I want to look like that. And there's, there's no way you can look like that unless you're starving yourself to death. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Then there's dieting. Dieting. Dieting can be just as harmful. Most research finds that diets as such never work in the long term. Only a change in lifestyle, eating or exercise works. Um, but sometimes people get obsessed with dieting and it just, the obsession with the physical is so s such that, that we're just obsessed with dieting. Now, the only thing we know is that the people who promote diets definitely have fatter bank accounts, but that's a whole other thing. Then there's the abuse of food. Um, Eating foods that are bad for us, and I know none of us do that, but over the last 20, 30 years or so, every, every once in a while you'd hear that this food is really bad for you, this, this food causes cancer, or, or if you have cholesterol, don't eat eggs. You know, they, they've come up with all these things that come up, and, and uh, for years, um, I tried to convince Judy that, that coffee was bad for you. Okay, I, I was a tea drinker, we got married, and she drank coffee. And I tried to convince her that drinking four to six cups of coffee per day was bad, just really bad for her. And her reply, every time I complained about it, is someday, someday they're gonna discover coffee cures cancer. I said, yeah, right. 20 years later, study came out, brand new study said that four to six cups of coffee a day is good for you. It brings great mental alertness. It's full of flavonoids, which are disease-fighting antioxidants, and it's great especially for fighting cancer. Okay? I bow to my wife who has for years told me that, and she was right. 
She's, she's always right, but just so you know that. And then I started to drink coffee too, and I found it was true. Eating disorders. Then there are pleasure disorders. We have eating disorders. Focus on the physical, then we're focusing on how can I please myself. And some of those, one might be drinking of alcohol, drinking to get high, or drinking to get a buzz, or drinking to get drunk. Drinking and relying on it as liquid encouragement to have fun. I, I remember in high school and college when I go to uh, spend time with my friends and they always felt like they had to get drunk in order to have fun. And I said, I'm, I would go there and I would say, I want to demonstrate that I can have fun without drinking. I can have fun. I don't need that to have fun. But focus on the physical. There's a certain type of physical thing. A guy told me once, I don't drink to get drunk. And I asked him, is that why you only drink a case of beer at a time? I'm serious. That's what he, he said. I don't drink to get drunk. He'd case. I'm serious. Crazy. And we're going to talk more about alcohol when we get to chapter 8. Pleasure disorder. There's also drug abuse. Focus on the physical. It could be marijuana, cocaine, cocaine heroin, methamphetamines, prescription drugs, drugs, opioids. All a preoccupation with the physical. When we're concentrating on the physical, that we have to feel good to make up for something or whatever it is, it draws us into the, the abuse. I'm not talking about legitimate prescriptions for pain. That's a totally different thing. And then there are number three, there are obsessions. When we focus on the physical, preoccupied with the physical, we have obsessions. Now, one of those obsessions, we don't think about it very often, is exercise. Uh, we don't often think of exercise as an obsession, but it can be. Some get high on endorphins from running or extreme exercise. Someone coined the phrase exercise bulimia to describe extreme exercise to control weight. Happens. Then there's letter B, the extension of life and end of life issues. We can be obsessed with extending our physical lives. You know, the, the whole obsession is extending life and end of life issues, and so we do. And now, I think we ought to live as long as we can. I mean, I, I think God has given us long life, and, and that's, long life is a blessing. But being totally obsessed with that is a preoccupation with the physical. We're going to go to heaven someday, you know? It's, it's like, you know, why are we worried about it? If they think that's all there is, then it makes sense. Or stress or overwork or dangerous activities. I'm sure nobody here does extreme sports. Getting a high on the adrenaline of danger, ice climbing, rock climbing, bungee jumping, cliff jumping, skydiving, base jumping. Maybe some of you do that. I don't know. But it's a preoccupation of the physical. Nothing wrong with all those activities. But if that's the focus, it's out of order. Then we get to letter B. There's a preoccupation of the physical, then there's the practice of the sexual. The practice of the sexual. If we do not follow God's guidelines for the practice of sex, it's a misuse of the physical body. It's a misuse of the physical body. And Paul lists some principles here. This is not exhaustive, but he's saying it does matter what we do with our physical bodies. Principle number one, in sex, two become one. In sex, two become one. Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Sex is more than just a physical act. Why? Because a human being is body, soul, and spirit. We are whole beings, and in that act, you become one with that person. Not just body. You can't separate the body and soul and spirit. It's body, soul, and spirit. That's why he says in Genesis 2.24, Paul quotes, they become one flesh. 
Gordon Fee writes, this constitutes bodily union of the person who is not a member of Christ, whose body is not destined for the resurrection. Paul's point is that the physical union of a believer or the prostitute is not possible because a believer's body already belongs to God. Number two, sex outside of marriage violates Jesus. Sex outside of marriage violates Jesus. Verse 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. This is because the Holy Spirit, when we enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. The Holy Spirit in a person, in that union, is then joined with that other person. Sex outside of marriage with anybody. You extrapolate this out to any sexual union in violation of God's word and character. Illicit sex prostitutes the gift given by God to be shared with one person for life, one spouse. One person, one life, one spouse. Number three, immorality is sin against our own body. Sin against our own body. Very interesting distinction here. He says in verse 18, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Sins against his own body. See, the body's not meant for sexual immorality. He says flee immorality. Why flee immorality? Because we can trade in our freedom from sin and be enslaved by sin. Anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So you have the preoccupation of the physical and you have the practice of the sexual. Both can be a misuse of our physical body. Now let's look at Roman numeral two. Uh, facts about our physical body. What does he say about our physical body? He's talking to the church, he's talking to Christians. He says, letter A, our bodies belong to Jesus. Our bodies belong to Jesus. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Uh, the New Living Translation says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Verse 19, you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. There was a minister who was giving a talk to a group of high school students on, on moral values. And at the end of his talk, a young man near the, near the back of the room asked a question. Really, it was more of a statement than anything else. He said, if God made the body with its appetites, then why are you preachers always hassling me about sex? My sexual needs are just like all my other needs. If I get hungry, I drop by McDonald's for a quarter pounder with cheese. If I feel the need for sex, I get a date with a girl who's willing. Now, what's wrong with that? Wow, wow. Classic statement of an old philosophy that in many ways shows the inability to make the moral distinction between fast food and fast sex. And it's in the church and in amongst Christians. Very common misconception. And Paul says, your bodies don't belong to you to do whatever you please. Your bodies don't belong to you to do whatever you please. They belong to Jesus to do whatever pleases him. See, our bodies don't belong to us to do whatever we please. They belong to Jesus to please him. Our bodies belong to Jesus. Letter B, we've been bought with a price. We have been bought and paid for. Bought and paid for. When it says you've been bought with a price, we've talked to 
a couple times in the series about some of the Greek tenses. We have, we have past tense, present tense, future tense, and we have some other tenses. In the Greek, you have the aorist tense, which is past. It's a, it's a point in time, something that happens. So he says, you were bought with a price. That means that when you accepted Jesus Christ and gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you, that, that transaction was completed because he paid for you with his blood when he died on the cross for your sins and you accepted that gift, you were bought with a price. That means he owns you from then on. It's, it's a one-time happening in the past, but it has present and future results. In other words, it has, you were bought and it has, the, the implications are that it, that, that own, ownership is today and it's in the future. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's something with ongoing consequences, ongoing results. And the word for body means the whole being, the whole personality, whole, whole personality. We were freed from sin and freed to become slaves of Jesus. Jesus is now our master. He bought us. He owns us. It's an amazing thing. He owns us. Revelation 5.9 says, you are worthy, speaking of Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased from men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice. Letter C, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, we talked about earlier in chapter 3, we talked about uh, the verse that says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that was a plural you, that was y'all. And he was talking about the local church, talking about Christians in, in church all over, the, all over the globe, basically. Because God has chosen to take up residence in the church. That's why he says, don't do anything to, to destroy the church or I will destroy you. Basically, he says, you all are a temple. Now here, it's a singular you. It's different. It means you individually. It's a singular. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you ask Jesus to be your, your, your Savior and Lord, that means that he actually lives inside you. Christians are therefore one spirit with Jesus. Now, these Corinthians thought that the presence of the spirit meant the body didn't matter. Paul says the exact opposite. The presence of spirit in their bodily existence is a, God's affirmation of the importance of the physical body because he lives in you, a temple of God. And we should consider that our bodies, including our whole personality, are the sacred dwelling place of God. The spirit of the living God is in you, the Holy Spirit in you. God didn't just choose to live in our spirits, but in our bodies. Now, when, when we think about that, that when we believe and receive Jesus Christ, his spirit takes up residence in us. It kind of negates the, the physical preoccupation, whether we're tall or skinny, large, small, whatever our physical being is like. That's irrelevant. He has chosen to live inside each and every one of us. Talk about understanding and begin, beginning to understand the value that he places on every person here because he's living in you. The Spirit of God is living in you. In letter D, we are to glorify God in our body. We are to glorify God in our body. Verse 20, honor God. And you say, 
can we do anything else when, when we know that God is in our body? You, we can use our body for many things, good, bad, evil, wholesome. And Paul is writing this passage because the Corinthians are misusing their body primarily for sexual sins. Let's look at number, Roman numeral three. Proper use of our physical bodies. Proper use of our physical bodies. The first is fidelity. Fidelity, which means being true to our, to our spouse. Let's look at some facts about sex. First of all, number one, God invented sex. God invented sex. He, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, God invented sex. Number two, sex is good and is to be enjoyed. Sex is good and is to be enjoyed. Do you think people would be fruitful and multiply if it wasn't any fun? Of course not. Having children is too painful. I've been through labor twice. <clears throat> the strongest urge in all nature is the urge to merge. And that's from, it's from God. It's from God. Number three, sex is to be practiced only in marriage. In marriage. And it's the Bible's definition of marriage. One man, one woman for a lifetime commitment. Exclusive monogamous. That's how God designed it. Now, when we mess it up, we have broken marriages and we have divorces and we have remarriages. We have all kinds of brokenness that we deal with. God takes wherever we are in our place and he brings wholeness and healing in that process. But his original design is one man, one woman for life. And uh, if you're listening online or if you, if you didn't hear my message last week about uh, the issue of the perversion um, of, uh, and homosexuality, please go online and listen to it. Last week's uh, message on 1 Corinthians earlier in this chapter. Very important that we understand what the Bible says about uh, those things. Number four, Satan perverted sex. Satan perverted sex. When we see this, we see the perversion all around us. They treating sex as a purely physical act, separating sex from love and a and a lifetime commitment, reducing women to objects of, of just sexual pleasure. Um, it's it's so ironic that that the Me Too movement came out largely out of the entertainment industry, which objectifies women to the nth degree in movies. In everything you think, you see, it's all objectification, sexualizing women. And then they wonder why in private these men objectified women in sex, and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, we've got a problem. Hello? Yeah, that, that's, that's been around forever. And it ought, it ought to be very clear in our minds that that has, that has almost destroyed lives many times, reducing women to objects of sexual pleasure. Satan perverted that. The sexual abuse of, of children, living together and sleeping together before or outside of marriage, trying to experience intimacy without a uh, commitment. I, I talk to couples occasionally that are living together. Uh, I've had them come in and want to get married. They say, we want to get married. We're living together. And I, I require them to separate for a period of time before the wedding. Why? Because they're experiencing intimacy without commitment. And if you don't have commitment, there's no true intimacy. It's a, it's a false thing. You've always got this back door. If they're living together without marriage, I'm having intimacy, and, and sometimes when I've mandated a couple do that, they, they split up for a period of time. It's no longer convenient, it's no longer whatever, and they, they never do get married. Intimacy without commitment. There is no true intimacy without commitment. That's why God designed marriage. 
in the context of a holy union and a holy commitment to one another. And in that context of that kind of commitment, then you can have true intimacy. Without that, there's no true intimacy. Fidelity. Letter B, morality. Morality is defined as right as opposed to wrong. And he says, flee immorality, practice morality. And then letter C is glorification. On earth, we're to glorify God, give God the glory. In the future, the resurrection glory will be our experience. Someday, our bodies will be resurrected. It's in Philippians 3, there's one passage that talks about it. Uh, 21, it says, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. His glorious body. And we, we remember, if you, we read about Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead and he came and appeared to his, his disciples and he could walk through doors and he could thought travel and you know, we, don't, we, we just know that he had this perfect body that we will have someday have one just like that. But he doesn't just resurrect our spirit, he resurrects our bodies. It's the whole being. Body, soul, spirit, we are one being. And, and he says, therefore, glorify your body. The Bible does not denigrate our physical bodies. The Bible does not denigrate sex. The Bible raises both of them up. And God says, your bodies are so valuable, I bought them with my body, my blood. Don't hurt them. Flee immorality. Glorify God in your body. Do a body good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't shy away from hard topics. <laughs> I thank you for 1 Corinthians, Lord, as we work our way through it. I just pray that you would just inform our minds, transform our hearts, that we would be changed as we look at this. I just pray, God, that, that you would challenge each and every one of us to apply this, these truths, knowing that you are faithful to provide strength and, and help in our times of temptation and needs, and, and you can find answers to every situation that we find ourselves in because you are truly faithful in every way. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.